Book Four, Chapter Two of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Four, Chapter Two Specimens of Taste. The presence of Lionel stifled the enquiries of Eugenia, and pride, all up in arms, absorbed every softer feeling in Camilla. When they had driven half a mile, "'Now, young ladies,' said he, "'I shall treat you with a frolic.' He then stopped the carriage and told the coachman to drive to Cornfield, saying, "'Tis but two miles about, and Coachy won't mind that, will you, Coachy?' The coachman, looking forward to half a crown, said his horses would be all the better for a little more exercise, and Jacob, familiarly fond of Lionel from a boy, made no difficulty. Lionel desired his sisters to ask no questions, assuring them he had great designs and a most agreeable surprise in view for them. In pursuance of his directions, they drove on till they came before a small house, just new-fronted with deep red bricks, containing, on the ground floor, two little bow windows, in a sharp triangular form, enclosing a door ornamented with small panes of glass, cut in various shapes, on the first story a little balcony, decorated in the middle, and at each corner with leaden image of cupids and in the attic story a very small venetian window partly formed with minute panes of glass and partly with glazed tiles representing in blue and white various devices of dogs and cats mice and birds rats and ferrets as emblems of the conjugal state well young ladies what say you to this cried he does it hit your fancy if it does tis your own Eugenia asked what he meant. "'Mean to make a present of it to whichever is the best girl, and can first cry boo to a ghost. Come, don't look disdainfully, Eugenia. What say you? Won't it be better to be mistress of this little neat, tight, snug box, and a pretty little tidy husband that belongs to it, than to pore all day long over a Latin theme with old Dr. Orkborn?' I have often thought my poor uncle was certainly out of his wits when he set us all, men, women, and children, to learn Latin, or else be whipped by the old doctor. But we all soon got our necks out of the collar, except poor Eugenia, and she's had to work for us all. However, here's an opportunity. See, but what a pretty place. Not quite finished, to be sure, but look at that lake. How cool, how rural, how refreshing. Lake replied eugenia i see nothing but a very dirty little pond with a mass of rubbish in the middle indeed i see nothing else but rubbish all round and everywhere that's the very beauty of the thing my dear it's all in the exact state for being finished under your own eye and according to your own taste to whom does it belong it's uninhabited yet but it's preparing for a very spruce young spark that i advise you both to set your caps at hold i see somebody peeping i'll go and get some news for you he then jumped from the coach and ran up five deep narrow steps formed of single large rough stones which mounted so much above the threshold of the house that upon opening the door there appeared a stool to assist all comers to reach the floor of the passage 
Eugenia, with some curiosity, looked out and saw her brother, after nearly forcing his entrance, speak to a very mean little man, dressed in old dirty cloths, who seemed willing to hide himself behind the door, but whom he almost dragged forward, saying aloud, "'Oh, I can take no excuse. I insist upon your shewing the house. I have brought two young ladies on purpose to see it, and who knows but one of them may take a fancy to it, and make you a happy man for life.' "'As to that, sir,' said the man, still endeavouring to retreat, "'I can't say as I've quite made my mind up yet as to the marriage ceremony.' I've known partly enough of the state already, but if ever I marry again, which is a moot point, I shan't do it hand over head like a boy without knowing what I'm about. However, it's time enough for conscience to think of that when my house is done and my workmen is off my hands. Camilla, now by the language and the voice, gathered that this was Mr. Dubster. "'Fo, fo,' answered Lionel, "'you must not be so hard-hearted when fair ladies are in the case. Besides, one of them is that pretty girl you flirted with at Northwick. She is a sister of mine, and I shall take it very ill if you don't hand her out of the coach and do the honours of your place to her.' Camilla, much provoked, earnestly called to her brother, but utterly in vain. "'Lock a day, why, it is not half finished,' said Mr. Dubster, "'nor a quarter neither, and as to that young lady, "'I can't say as it was much in my mind to be over-civil to her any more, "'begging pardon, after her giving me the slip in that manner. "'I can't say as I think it was over and above handsome, letting me get my gloves. "'Not that I minded in the least as to that.' "'Fo, fo, man, you must never bear malice against the fair lady. "'Besides, she's come now on purpose to make her excuses.' "'Oh, well, that's another thing. "'If the young lady's sorry, I shan't think of holding out. "'Besides, I can't say but what I thought her agreeable enough "'if it had not been for her behaving so comical just at the last. "'Not that I mean in the least to make any complaint.' by way of getting of the young lady scolded. "'You must make friends now, man, and think no more of it,' cried Lionel, who would have drawn him to the carriage, but he protested he was quite ashamed to be seen in such a dishable, and should go first and dress himself. Lionel, on the contrary, declaring nothing so manly nor so becoming as a neglect of outward appearance, pulled him to the coach-door, notwithstanding all his efforts to disengage himself and the most bashful distortions with which he strove to sneak behind his conductor. "'Ladies,' said he, "'Mr. Dubster desires to have the honour of walking over his house and grounds with you.' Camilla declared she had no time to alight, but Lionel insisted, and soon forced them both from the coach. Mr. Dubster, no longer stiff, starched, and proud, as when full dress, was sunk into the smallest insignificance, and, when they were compelled to enter his grounds through a small Chinese gate, painted of a deep blue, would entirely have kept out of sight, but for a whisper from Lionel that the ladies had owned they thought he looked to particular advantage in that careless attire. Encouraged by this, he came boldly forward, and suddenly facing them made a low bow, saying, "'Young ladies, you're humble.' 
They curtsied slightly, and Camilla said she was very sorry to break in upon him. "'Oh, it don't much matter,' cried he, extremely pleased by this civility. "'I only hope, young ladies, you won't take umbrage at my receiving you in this pickle. But you've popped upon me unawares, as one might say, and my best coat is at this very minute at Tom Hicks's, nicely packed and papered up and tied all round in a drawer of his upstairs in his room, and I'd have gone for it with the greatest pleasure in life to shew my respect if the young gentleman would have let me. And then, recollecting Eugenia, "'Good luck, ma'am,' said he in a low voice to Camilla. "'That's the same lame little lady as I saw at the ball.' "'That lady, sir,' answered she, provoked, "'is my sister.' "'Mercy's me!' exclaimed he, lifting up his hands. "'I wish I'd known as much at the time. "'I'm sure, ma'am, if I'd a thought the young lady was anyways related to you, "'I would not have said a word disrespectful upon new account.' Lionel asked how long he had this place. "'Only a little while. "'I happened of it quite lucky.' A friend of mine was just being turned out of it in default of payment, and so I got it a bargain. I intend to fix it up a little in taste, and then, whether I like it or no, I can always let in. They were now, by Lionel, dragged into the house, which was yet unfurnished, half-papered, and half-whitewashed. The workmen, Mr. Dubster said, were just gone to dinner, and he rejoiced that they had happened to come so conveniently when he should be no loser by leaving the men to themselves in order to oblige the young ladies with his company. He insisted upon shewing them not only every room, but every closet, every cupboard, every nook, corner, and hiding-place, praising their utility and enumerating all their possible approbations with the most minute encomiums. "'But I'm quite sorry,' cried he, "'young ladies, to think as I've nothing to offer you. I eats my dinner always at the Globe, having nobody here to cook. However, I'd have had a morsel of cake or so if the young gentleman had been so kind as to give me an item beforehand of your intending me the favor. But as to getting things into the house haphazard, really everything is so dear, it's quite out of reason. The scampering of horses now carrying them to a window, they saw some hounds in full cry, followed by horsemen in full gallop. Lionel declared he would borrow Jacob's mare and join them, while his sisters walked about the grounds. But Camilla, taking him aside, made a serious expostulation protesting that her father, with all his indulgence, and even her uncle himself, would be certainly displeased if he left them alone with this man of whom they knew nothing but his very low trade. "'Why, what is his trade?' "'A tinker's Mrs. Arlberry told me so.' He laughed violently at this information, protesting he was rejoiced to find so much money could be made by the tinkering business, which he was determined to follow in his next distress for cash, yet added he feared this was only the malice of Mrs. Arlberry, for Dubster, he had been told, had kept a shop for ready-made wigs. 
He gave up, however, his project for getting the chase when he no longer heard the hounds, and desired Mr. Dubster to proceed in shoeing his lions. "'Lock a day, sir. I've got no lions, nor tigers neither. It's a deal of expense keeping them animals, and though I know they reckon me near, I shan't do no such thing, for if a man does not take a little care of his money when once he's got it, especially if it's honestly, I think he's a fool for his pains, begging pardon for speaking my mind so freely.' He then led them again to the front of the house, where he desired they would look at his pond. "'This,' said he, "'is what I value the most of all, except my summer-house and my labyrinth. I shall stock it well, and many a good dinner I hope to eat from it. It gives me an appetite, sometimes I think only to look at it.' "'Tis a beautiful piece of water,' said Lionel, "'and may be useful to the outside as well as the inside, for if you go in head foremost you may bathe as well as feed from it.' "'No, I shan't do that, sir. I'm not over and above fond of water at best. However, I shall have a swan.' "'A swan? Why, sure you won't be contented with only one?' "'Oh, yes, I shall. It will only be made of wood, painted over in white. There's no end of feeding them things if one has them alive. Besides, it will look just as pretty and won't bite.' and I know a friend of mine that one of them creatures flew at and gave him such a bang as he almost broke his leg, only for throwing a stone at it, out of mere play. They are mortal spiteful, if you happen to hurt them when you're in their reach. He then begged them to go over to his island, which proved to be what Eugenia had taken for a mass of rubbish. They would fain have been excused crossing a plank, which he called a bridge, but Lionel would not be denied. "'Now here,' said he, "'when my island's finished, I shall have something these young ladies will like, and that's a lamb.' "'Alive or dead?' cried Lionel. "'Alive,' he replied, "'for I shall have good pasture in a little bit of ground just by where I shall keep me a cow.' and here will be grass enough upon my island to keep it from starving on Sundays. And for now and then, when I've someone come to see me, and when it's fit for killing, I can change it with the farmer down the lane for another young one, by a bargain I've agreed with him for already, for I don't love to run no risks about a thing for mere pleasure. "'Your place will be quite a paradise,' said Lionel. "'Why, indeed, sir, I think I've earned having a little recreating, "'for I worked hard enough for it before I happened of meeting with my first wife.' "'Oh, ho, so you began with marrying a fortune?' "'Yes, sir, and very pretty she was, too, if she had not been so puny. "'But she was always ailing. "'She cost me a mort of money to the potecary before she went off.' and she was a tedious while a-dying, poor soul. Your first wife, surely you have not been twice married already? Yes, I have. My second wife brought me a very pretty fortune, too. I can't say, but I've rather had the luck of it, as far as I've gone yet a while. 
they now repassed the plank and were conducted to an angle in which a bench was placed close to the chinese rail which was somewhat shaded by a willow that grew in a little piece of stagnant water on the other side a syringa was planted in front and a broom tree on the right united it with the willow in the middle there was a deal table now young ladies said mr dubster if you have a taste to breathe a little fresh country air here's where i advise you to take your rest when i come to this place first my arbor as i call this had no lookout but just to the field so i cut away them lilacs and now there's a good pretty lookout and it's a thing not to be believed what a sight of people and coaches and gentlemen's whiskies and stages and flies and wagons and all sorts of things as ever you can think of goes by all day long i often think people's got but little to do at home next he desired to lead them to his grotto which he said was but just begun it was indeed as yet nothing but a little square hole dug into a chalky soil down into which no steps being yet made he slid as well as he could to the no small whitening of his old brown coat which already was threadbare he begged the ladies to follow that he might shew them the devices he had marked out with his own hand and from his own head for fitting up the inside lionel would not suffer his sisters to refuse compliance though mr dubster himself cautioned them to come carefully in particular he said the little lady as she has happened of an ugly accident already as i judge in one of her hips and twould be pity at her time of life if she should happen of another at t other side eugenia not aware this misfortune was so glaring felt much hurt by this speech and camilla very angry with its speaker sought to silence him by a resentful look but not observing it pray ma'am he continued was it a fall or was you born so eugenia looked struck and surprised and camilla hastily whispered it was a fall and bid him say no more about it but not understanding her i take it then he said that was what stunted your growth so miss for i take it you're not much above the dwarf as they shoe at exeter change much of a muchness i guess did you ever see him ma'am no sir it would be a good sight enough to see you together he'd think himself a man in a minute you must have had the smallpox mortal bad ma'am i suppose you'd the confluent sort camilla here without waiting for help slid down into the intended grotto and asked a thousand questions to change the subject while eugenia much disconcerted slowly followed aided by lionel mr dubster then displayed the ingenious intermixture of circles and diamonds projected for the embellishment of his grotto the first of which were to be formed with cockle shells which he meant to color with blue paint and the second he proposed shaping with bits of shining black coal the spaces between would each have an oyster shell in the middle and here and there he designed to leave the chalk to itself which would always he observed make the grotto light and cheery shells he said unluckily he did not happen to have but as he had thoughts of taking a little pleasure some summer at brythelmstone or margate for he intended to see all those places 
he should make a collection then being told he might have as curious shells and pebbles too as a man could wish to look at only for the trouble of picking them up off the shore they next went to what he called his labyrinth which was a little walk he was cutting zigzag through some brushwood so low that no person above three foot height could be hid by it every step they took here cost a rent to some lace or some muslin of one of the sisters which mr dubster observed with a delight he could not conceal saying this was a true country walk and would do them both a great deal of good and adding we that live in town would give our ears for such a thing as this and though they could never proceed a yard at a time from the continual necessity of disentangling their dress from thorns and briars he exultantly boasted that he should give them a good appetite for their dinner and ask if this rural ramble did not make them begin to feel hungry for my part continued he if once i get settled a bit i shall take a turn in this zigzag every day before dinner which may save me my five grains of rhubarb that the doctor ordered me for my stomach since my having my illness which came upon me almost as soon as i was a gentleman from change of life i believe for i never knew no other reason and none of the doctors could tell me nothing about it but a man that's had a deal to do feels quite unked at first when he's only got to look and stare about him and just walk from one room to another without no employment lionel said he hoped at least he would not require his rhubarb to get down his dinner to-day i hope so too squire answered he licking his lips for i've ordered a pretty good one i can tell you beefsteaks and onions and i don't know what's better tom hicks is to dine with me at the globe as soon as i've give my workmen their tasks and seen after a young lad that's to do me a job there by my grotto tom hicks is a very good fellow i like him best of any acquaintance i've made in these here parts indeed i've made no other on account of the inconvenience of dressing when i'm so much about with my workmen so i keep pretty incog from the genteel and tom does well enough in the interim he then requested them to make haste to his summer-house because his workmen would be soon returned and he could not then spare a moment longer without spoiling his own dinner my summer-house said he is not above half complete yet but it will be very pretty when it's done only i've got no stairs yet to it but there's a very good ladder if the ladies ain't afraid the ladies both desire to be excused mounting but lionel protested he would not have his friend affronted and as neither of them were in the habit of resisting him nor of investigating with seriousness anything that he proposed they were soon tased into acquiescence and he assisted them to ascend mr dubster followed the summer-house was as yet no more than a shell without windows scarcely roofed and composed of lath and plaster not half dry it looked on to the high road and mr dubster assured them that on market days the people passed so thick there was no seeing them for the dust here they soon had cause to repent their facility that dangerous yet venial because natural fault of youth for hardly had they entered this place ere a distant glimpse of a fleet stag and a party of sportsmen incited lionel to scamper down and calling out i shall be back presently he made off towards the house dragging the ladder after him
the sisters eagerly and almost angrily remonstrated but to no purpose and while they were still entreating him to return and supposing him though out of sight within hearing they suddenly perceived him passing the window by the high road on horseback switch in hand and looking in the utmost glee i have borrowed jacob's mare he cried for just half an hour's sport and sent jacob and coachy to get a little refreshment at the next public house but don't be impatient i shan't be long off then he galloped laughing in defiance of the serious entreaties of his sisters and without staying to hear even one sentence of the formal exhortations of mr dubster End of chapter two